This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Next, we follow up on the Auditor General of Ontario's report, which was released just as we went to air yesterday. Among the highlights, a critique of this government's climate change plan, saying it will not make Ontario achieve its emissions reduction targets. And on the healthcare front, a lot to worry about. Of the one million patients who are discharged every year by hospitals, about 67,000 were harmed during treatment and that is the second highest rate of patient harm in the country. We already covered some of the problems in nursing homes and food and nutrition in the homes. The most stomach-turning example of which was residents being served eggs that were three months out of date. Uh, We will get to all of that right now i'd like to welcome ontario auditor general bonnie lissick hello hi thank you for inviting me on thank you for coming on in your opinion uh out of all these value for money audits what deserves or needs the most urgent attention oh my goodness it's hard uh, it's hard to narrow it down to one i think there's a lot of our reports that tackle issues that require attention um you know, uh, just quickly, obviously, um, you know, long-term care homes always deserve attention because they're housing people that, um, um, you know, can't always help themselves. Uh, the ODSP program is uh, is paying out money that we think is to people that, you know, aren't eligible, and that needs to be looked at to save the province money and to put the money where it's needed um, and to people that actually need it for ODSP. And, uh, sorry, do, do, you, do you have a figure on that, how much money could be saved? Um, well, we know that there's been overpayments over the, over the last few years of $1.1 billion. We also know that um, the financial eligibility, um, confirming it with third parties isn't being done uh, on a regular basis and so there are opportunities out there for people who are receiving money to uh, be receiving it when they have other sources of income. Um, You know, there's the increase in ODSP is because of psychosis and neurosis. That percentage of people with that is increasing and they're not being regularly reviewed to uh, see whether or not they're still entitled and and there are treatments for that now. Um, So so there's a a lot of factors that play in. So um, the program monies went up a couple Couple billion in the last ten years, and so it deserves it deserves a look. Uh, in terms of the problems that you found in long-term care homes and nursing homes, now you you didn't name the nursing homes. Did you look at um, uh, an equal mix of profit, for-profit and not-for-profit homes? Yes, we looked at uh, municipal and uh, not-for-profit and for-profit homes. So my staff visited all all three types of homes in Ontario. And did you find any significant differences in the kind of problems you found uh, among those three categories of homes? Um, the problems were more to do with, um, there's a lot of one-offs, and also, um, you know, the 
the building in which long-term care facilities are being housed. So some of the, f- the facilities are, you know, newer by comparison. The older ones don't have as much room for, um, you know, more comfortable dining, and we did see seniors dining in the hallways. Um, spending on food might be a little bit higher in the municipal than it is in in um, the others. So um, there's, it, but it's, you know, you have to pretty much go long-term care home by long-term care home. It's, it, it is hard to generalize um, uh, across the board. We talked to Lisa Levin from Advantage Ontario. Most of these problems didn't surprise her. We hear we cover long-term care issues all the time, and one of the consistent problems is there's not enough staff. Uh, they need they are asking for four hours per day per resident. They can't always find the staff, and a lot of the problems that you cited seem to come down to that. I, I think um, what was interesting when we started this audit was looking at the data, and it's you know the, the number of residents in long-term care homes hasn't changed much from let's say ten years ago. Seventy-seven thousand people are roughly in the homes. It's it's gone up a little bit, but you know let's say seventy-five to 77,000. The average age has stayed the same, about 83 years, but what has changed is the cognitive ability. So most, uh, 64% of the residents now have a form of dementia, such as Alzheimer's, which thereby requires more assistance with feeding and drinking. And so that's where you run into the issue of is there enough time spent with each resident? Yeah, I, I mean, frankly, I was surprised by that because I've seen other numbers that said the average age has actually gone up, but there's no question that there are more residents with dementia, and that's also another issue because that requires specialized training, and all of this, of course, requires money. Yeah, I, I, there is a you know there's a budget that everyone is working within, and uh, I think I think what we saw that maybe throws the system off sometimes, and it, and it's obviously going to happen, but it's the use of uh, agency agency staff sometimes instead of regular staff, and when staff do phone in sick. Uh, the, you know, some some jobs when you phone in sick, uh, things can carry on as normal. In this particular, you know, in terms of PSWs, if somebody phones in sick, that just means there's a, a pair of hands missing to help, you know, help with uh, somebody's attention in terms of food and dressing and all of that. And agency staff, of course, are more expensive. Um, agency, yes, and also not as aware of um, the residents' needs. And, you know, we go into care plans, and in those plans it talks about the food that people need and the texture of the food and the beverages. And we could see that in a lot of cases there isn't referral back to those plans. And so uh, there are some best practices out there. If long-term care homes can share their best practices more, that'll be good because one of the best practices is actually put the care plan right on the table where the person usually sits so that no matter which staff member or an agency staff looks at, uh, helps with that person, they'll see what they need for their meal and make sure they don't get solid foods if they need pureed foods. Uh, that sounds like a no-brainer. A couple of things, when you talked about the never events, you know, leaving instruments inside patients, uh, that, that kind of stuff, and it not being reported. I mean, we just a couple of weeks ago had a report on that from Kai High, uh, from the Canadian Institute of Health Information. And so why is there uh, such a big rate of harm to patients in Ontario? So there's, there's two things there. Um, the Kai High reporting is on reportable 
uh, incidents uh, and preventable reportable incidents. Never events are things that should never occur. So that type of information isn't really collectively um, uh, collected. So when we went to the hospitals, um, a sample of them did collect that information and others didn't. So what we're saying is the never event data should be collected by all the hospitals and reported to the ministry to make sure that those things don't happen. The biggest one isn't the instruments. The biggest one is um, uh, ulcer uh, pressures, uh, ulcer pressures, so that uh, that you know um, come about perhaps if a patient isn't being regularly moved if they're not if they're more immobile. So pressure ulcers is the key one there. Okay, final very quick question about nurses who had been fired or disciplined for incompetence or inappropriate behavior getting rehired. I mean, that to me rings a bell of uh, of those terrible uh, Elizabeth Wetlawfer murders. Is it, how often is that happening? Um, well, we looked at the movement of nurses in a sample of the hospitals. So we didn't, you know, there's lots of hospitals in Ontario. We looked at a, a sample of them. Um, and what we did find is that it is possible for nurses to move around and be hired, even if at their, at their previous employer they were found to have harmed a patient or they were incompetent. It takes a lot to get um, to, to remove a nurse in terms of that. They get chances to show their competence. It's not just a one-off incident. And so I think we were surprised that we saw that uh, a nurse who perhaps in a few cases has been deemed incompetent or has harmed patients still is able to work in the system either through you know other hospitals or either through agencies i mean it's not it's not rampant i mean the nurses that work in our hospitals are are um, competent uh, overall uh, these are people that slip through the system within the system and can can work and and we think no, there's more controls needed around this and more exchange of personnel information um, to be enabled between the hospitals and with the agencies so that um, the people that are harming patients um, can't work in the system. Okay, thank you so much for being with us, Bonnie Lissick, Ontario Auditor General. Thank you for having me. Okay, and now I'd like to bring in Marilee Fullerton, who is the Minister of Long-Term Care in the province. Hello there. Hello, how are you? Fine, how are you? Very well, thank you. So what is your reaction to the deficiencies found in the long-term care sector in the Auditor General's report? Well, we take any deficiency uh, to heart. We want to make sure that our residents of long-term care are treated uh, with the highest quality care um, and are treated with respect and dignity. It is, it is an a absolute priority of this government to create a 21st century long-term care system that, that supports our residents. And also we look at uh, our PSWs, our personal support workers, our dedicated uh, workforce staffing in long-term care homes and there's always room for improvement and so I really very much appreciate the, the good work done by the Auditor General to highlight any areas that, that we can focus more on uh, but I, I want to put a context to this that there are roughly 85 million meals per year served to our residents in long-term care and so the areas where there are deficiencies that the Auditor General points out we will be collaborating with our sector as we have been doing since we started as a ministry a few months ago 
to make sure that the communication is is clear and open about how we can help them improve with best practices. So this is about the health and well-being of residents, uh, and it's also about making things better for our sector so that we can work collaboratively and uh, use best practices and, and the best evidence. Okay. So the Auditor General's audit has been very helpful. Okay, but we all know about the shortage of PSWs yeah. and how they don't have enough time to spend with residents. So how do you square the circle if, if people are being fed late, for example? Uh, how do you, you know, um, how do you right. make that work if there isn't anybody to feed them on time? Right. And so the, the concept surrounding adequate staffing, we are looking to build 15,000 new beds and redevelop another 15,000 within the next five years by 2023-24. So clearly a staffing strategy is needed and that is definitely on our radar from speaking to the long-term care home operators for the last several months and hearing from the public. Uh, it's widely known that the, the staffing strategy is, is really needed. So we're working on that now, understanding that we cannot build capacity without having uh, adequate staff. So this is key. And the staff, you know, so many dedicated personal support workers and people working in these long-term care homes, I've had the opportunity to meet them, many of them, uh, over the, my, uh, the course of the last few months. And I'm, I'm really so proud of, of the work that so many dedicated people are doing day in, day out. Their compassion for our residents in long-term care is extremely appreciated by me and my ministry and government. Can we always do better? Yes, we can always do better, and, and that's why I appreciate the Auditor General's uh, audit, because it does help to identify in a very real way um, what we can do to improve. And uh, how are you going to crack down, for instance, on the use of long-expired food like those eggs? Well, that's certainly a concern, and there's, we have um, a rigorous inspection process. It's a minimum of, of once a year. But certainly any areas that would be highlighted like this will, will be addressed with our, our homes. Um, and so there is need of improvement. So we take the, the, the safety and well-being of our residents of long-term care extremely seriously. And, and their, their well-being is our priority. Yeah, so but how, are how, how are you going to do this? I mean, once a year, that, that, leaves, uh, that well, leaves 364 days. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. But the inspections are a minimum of once a year. So any areas that are highlighted, uh, we will address those, those areas. The, the process is rigorous. And we, I want our, our long-term care homes to know that we can work together collaboratively in a positive way so that we can address any deficiencies. This is about making things better. Um, it's about making sure that our residents are treated with respect uh, and, and our, our, their well-being is our priority. We also have to recognize uh, the staff in long-term care homes are providing very dedicated and compassionate service to those homes and to those residents. Uh, I, I think that you were on the line listening when I asked the Auditor General about the note she made about nurses who had been fired for incompetence or inappropriate behavior and their ability to get other jobs in the system. And uh, she was talking about 
more communication. I mean, frankly, when I saw that, the first thing, obviously, that came to mind was Elizabeth Wetlaufer and how she was able to go from home to home. And, and um, the Auditor General, you know, mentioned more communication, but I suspect that there's probably an issue with the union and the union rules. How do you see that? Well, you, you know, you're touching on Justice Scalise's recommendations, and uh, that was back in the summer. So we're making progress on those recommendations to address um, the, the concerns that were raised by Justice Scalise. And I'm, I was extremely appreciative at that time of the work that she did on, on with this public inquiry. And uh, I think that when we look at the role of, of uh, the staff and the importance of the care that they provide, the Justice Scalise's recommendations are taken extremely seriously. We take those to heart. And do we have any kind of timeline ETA for these things to be corrected? We're looking at July of 2020 uh, as having a progress report, and we're actively working on that as we speak. So these are really important um, uh, reports. So the, the audit from the Auditor General and the Justice Galicia's report, I think these are, are really important pieces of information, and uh, we need to address as many of the recommendations as we as we can possibly do and always look to improve our long-term care sector really has not been modernized in decades um, and the previous government uh, unfortunately neglected it it is an absolutely critical part to our our whole healthcare system and for our hospitals to function the way they ought to function so it's so important for our residents to receive high-quality care. But the long-term care system affects other parts of our health care system, too. And I think we have to remember that as we go through the processes of, of creating a really flexible, responsive, 21st century long-term care system. I've, I've, I've lived this with my own family. I understand what it is like to be a family member with your loved one in a long-term care home or needing to get into a long-term care home uh, and not being able to access it. So we need people to be able to get the care they need when they need it. They need to get high quality, safe care that respects the, the individual, the resident's rights, their dignity, and that they are respected and that their families are respected and communicated with. Uh, so this is a, an important time. Um, this is a pivotal point in long-term care and our ministry is dedicated to making sure that we make the improvements necessary for our 21st century long-term care home system. Okay, well, uh, we will be following up and look forward to seeing some concrete action. Thank you so much, Marilee. Thank Mary you Lee. so much. Thank you for your interest. Really uh, appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. We've heard from the Auditor General. We just heard from the Minister of Long-Term Care, and uh, she seems to be making the right noises saying thanks for the thanks for the heads up on these problems we're going to work on them didn't really hear anything concrete about how that's going to happen though i must say big difference i remember when the auditor general talked about the accounting under the last government they did not react that well uh, so what is the perspective of somebody who works in our healthcare system, the perspective of a doctor. I'd like to bring in Dr. Sean Watley, who is the former president of the Ontario Medical Association and now the Monk Senior Fellow in Health Policy with the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Hello, Sean. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? 
I'm doing well, thanks. So what do you make of what you've been hearing? First of all, is there anything in the Auditor General's report that surprised you? Um, I don't think it's surprising. I, I always cringe a little bit when um, someone takes a, a cold, hard look from the outside because um, some things that may be actually healthy in a hospital environment will be brought into the light of day and people will say, oh, this is really terrible. We need to change this. And I can explain what I'm thinking of when I, when I mention that. But other things, though, we're very, very predictable. I mean, you can't have people sitting in hallway beds for days and days and not expect bad things to happen uh, more frequently than we'd like to. So very glad to see the work being done. Some of it, you know, a lot of it not surprising. Some of it is a bit cringeworthy, but for understandable reasons. Okay, so uh, w w your first comment was a bit cryptic. What what were you referring to? Yeah, no, I'm glad you... Uh, sorry, I... The, Sorry to be cryptic there. Um, so one of the things that we struggle with in any healthcare environment, but especially in hospital care, when you're dealing with our sickest people, is that um, bad things will occasionally happen. It's just like in any other high stakes industry. Um, and you need to have systems in place to deal with those rare bad events. Um, for example, um, a really sick toddler will die or an elderly person will fall and, and get a blood clot and, and have a terrible outcome. And so really, really horrific things can happen occasionally. And thank goodness they're very, very rare. And I think in the report it says 214 such events. They were talking about never events, which is even an, another subset of bad things that can happen. Yeah, but, but isn't that like operating on the wrong patient and yes. leaving your watch inside a patient? That's a never event. Yes, then that's even, that's even, yeah, exactly. It's a subset. But we need to figure out a way. Number one, uh, we don't want never events to ever happen. Number two, those bad outcomes, patient harm, uh, things happen that should have been preventable. Um, we need to have an environment where people feel um, safe to be able to speak up when that happens. And we know from the safety literature that if we create an environment where everybody's paranoid of opening their mouth about anything, safety actually gets worse. So on the one hand, we have to, have to, have to draw attention to these opportunities to do better. But at the other hand, we need to do it in such a way that we're actually making these issues come to light more and in a way where we can fix them in a positive fashion as opposed to just doing it to shame and blame. Okay, uh, some people say that already exists. Uh, do you have any view, and we're running out of time on, on this business about uh, nurses fired for incompetence, inappropriateness, being rehired time after time? Just very quickly, that please. That is a tough one. Number one, it's really, really hard to get rid of um, uh, low-performing staff. doesn't matter what staff they are in the hospital environment. There are very, very strong unions in place. Um, that's a whole, that's a topic for a whole show. The part about people getting hired again, yes, it does happen. Ideally, though, if you've done good reference checks, the community, the medical community is small enough, nursing community is small enough that people get known. Having said that, um, it is possible, it, you know, if you live and work in one corner of Ontario and you move to another or you move to another province, that maybe people don't know your background well enough, but usually you can pick that sort of thing up in reference checks. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. This is a great conversation, but we are out of time. Uh, we'll have to pick it up on another occasion. I would love that. Okay. Dr. Sean Watley, thanks.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.